Chapter 2. Together. Lemuel Hardison Redd and Keziah Jane Butler were married January 2nd, 1856, by Bishop William Pace, and they were sealed later in the endowment house on February 16th, 1858, by Daniel H. Wells. The next month, a call came from Lemuel's father, John H. Redd, to go to Las Vegas. Lemuel and Keziah went in John's place, and he was to follow in the fall. They had their patriarchal blessings before they went. A patriarchal blessing by Isaac Morley given in Spanish Fork, 1st of March, 1856, to Lemuel Hardison Redd, son of John H. Redd and Elizabeth Hancock, born in Sneeds Ferry, North Carolina, 31st of July, 1836. Brother Lemuel, by the authority of the holy priesthood, we lay our hands upon thy head and ratify the seal and blessing of thy sire upon thee. Thou art in the morning of life, and in thine airship thou art numbered with the seed of Abram. Listen to the counsel of thy father, and there is no seal or key of knowledge, but what is thou hast right to attain to. Let no earthly consideration lead thy mind astray from the path of rectitude and the love of virtue. In so doing thou shalt find many attributes accumulating in thy mind. Thou shalt find the love of God increasing in thy bosom. Thou shalt find the principle whereby thou shalt extend mercy and favor to others that will cause thy mind to become illuminated with light. With principle and by promise we seal upon thee thy washings and anointings and endowments whereby thou wilt be prepared to receive the keys of the everlasting gospel, which thou have to bear to people who are sitting in darkness, that thy garments may be clean from the blood of this generation. Keep in thy memory the vow and obligations, and thou shalt have faith given thee from on high to rebuke diseases. The winds and the waves will be stayed by the power of thy faith. Therefore, improve upon thy leisure moments as they pass. And thou shalt be an instrument in the hands of the Lord in winning many into Christ's kingdom, who have become stars in thy crown in the day of the Lord Jesus. Live to honor the priesthood, and thy crown will be glorious. And when that still small voice whispers peace to thy mind, thou mayest know that the Lord is near thee. Thou art of Ephraim, and the seal of the priesthood shall rest upon thee, and thy seed after thee. I now seal thee up to enjoy the blessings of eternal life in the kingdom of God. Even so, amen and amen. A patriarchal blessing by Isaac Morley on the head of Keziah Jane Butler, daughter of John Lowe Butler and Caroline Farazine Skeen Butler, born February 25, 1836, in Simpson, Kentucky, Palmyra, February 26, 1855. Sister Keziah Jane, in the name of the Lord and by virtue of the priesthood, we lay our hands upon thy head, and we ratify the seal of thy father upon thy head. This is a principle of promise pertaining to the holy priesthood. A seal that ever shall be and abide with thee. Thou art blessed with the daughters of Abram, for thou art in the same everlasting covenant with them. Thou art adopted into the family of the faithful. Thou hast become a legal heir to all the blessings that were to be enjoyed by the daughters of Abraham. The Lord has blessed thee with many rights and with intellectual faculties whereby thou wilt become useful in thy day and generation upon the earth. Thou hast the promise of thy heavenly Father resting upon thee. Thou art brought into heirship by the waters of baptism. Therefore, rejoice in the covenants, for in the fulfilling of the promises thy mind will become filled with delight. They will be verified upon thee in the holy ordinances of thy God, where blessings of everlasting priesthood will be revealed to thy mind. Thou wilt appreciate thy heirship as the greatest blessing that ever was or ever will be committed to thy trust, where thou wilt learn the straightness of the gate and the narrowness of the way, which will produce joy and satisfaction to thy mind, for thou wilt be taught the pattern of heavenly things, where the spirit of truth will be made manifest to thy mind. Thou art of Ephraim, 
and a legal heir to the seals of the holy ordinances. Thou wilt rejoice in bearing thy testimony of the loving kindness of the Creator toward thee. Thou shalt enjoy the society of the faithful before the Lord. Thou wilt be favored of heaven, of raising thy posterity as tender plants by thy side, for they will bear the keys of the gospel of salvation and will be exalted in the kingdom of glory. We ratify this seal by virtue of the priesthood in the name of Jesus. Even so, amen and amen. The two patriarchal blessings above are recorded in Isaac Morley's book on pages 114 and 516. We notice that Keziah had her blessing before they were married, and Lemuel had his after. He followed her example in this. Right here, I would like to quote President David O. McKay. It is wonderful what a responsibility each wife and mother carries. A successful wife and mother is responsible, first, for the physical welfare of her family. Second, she must have the qualities of a teacher. She should be, indeed is expected to be, not only a disciplinarian, but one who wisely guides her family in their quest for truth and knowledge. In this, she becomes a confidant. She warns, she protects. Third, she must be a businesswoman. Fourth, upon her, even more than upon the father, depends the family guidance and spirituality. It was in these same areas that grandmother began to lead her family, as was her duty and privilege. They say that man is mighty, he governs land and sea, he wields a mighty scepter, or lesser powers that be. But a mightier power and stronger man for his throne is hurled. The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Along this same line, we might quote John Adams to his wife Abigail. I do not believe the Howells were very great women for their wives. If they had, we should suffer more from their exertions than we do. This is our good fortune. A smart wife would have put Howe in possession of Philadelphia a long time ago. To Las Vegas and return. On April 27, 1855, George A. Smith wrote to Franklin D. Richards, A company is organized and will start in a few days to form a settlement on the Las Vegas on the south route to California. This call for John H. Redd to join them there came in February 1856, a month after Lemuel and Keziah were married. John Redd fitted them out and they left for Las Vegas. They went by ox team and led a cow behind the wagon, so you know they didn't try to make time. Can you imagine going across that hot desert at the rate they must have had to go on that trip? The animals walked all the way, about five or six hundred miles. We say it's closer now, as many of the curves they had to fall then have been straightened out. They walked all day and camped at night, wherever night overtook them. They must have had company, because it wasn't at all safe to go that distance alone. The few months they remained in Las Vegas were during the hot part of the summer, and they felt the brunt of it. They went for the purpose of making a settlement and of opening up some lead mines there. These mines were important. The people in the Salt Lake Valley needed lead for bullets. The prophet Brigham Young knew they'd need them, for Johnson's army was coming the next year. But when the settlers in Las Vegas opened up the mines, they didn't find lead. They found only silver, which wouldn't make good bullets. The church did not approve of mining for gold and silver, and so the mission was closed, and Lemuel and Keziah were released to return to Spanish Fork. On the return trip, they again traveled by ox team and led that cow behind the wagon. They carried their water in a barrel, or barrels tied to the side or back of the wagon. They probably also had a smaller barrel tied somewhere to put milk in. They would put it in the barrel in the morning, and when they camped at night, it was churned to butter. That nice, sweet buttermilk surely tasted good to them in the evenings and I can imagine how they must have thirsted for a cool drink of water when the only water they had was warm, warm all the time, with the possible exception of early in the morning. 
They helped build a fort at Las Vegas and planted some cottonwood trees about it. I was shown them once in passing. I suppose that Grandfather helped plan and build the fort and plant the trees. After weeks on the road over the hot desert, they arrived back in Spanish Fork in September, a few weeks before their first child was born. They named him Lemuel Hardison Red, Jr. Lemuel H. Red, Sr., by Council of Brigham Young, was ordained an elder, and soon after, a 70 as a member of the 50th Quorum. In Spanish Fork, they had no home as yet. At first, they lived, or rather slept, in the attic of great-grandfather John H. Red's log house. They possibly slept on the floor, with a straw tick under them. Before her baby was born, grandmother had a gathered breast and was in much misery. She'd go to bed at night and cry with the pain. There was no one near to confide in or to ask advice of. Great-grandfather had married a young girl, and she would be of no help. Aunt Cheney, one of the great-grandmother's old Negro mammies, sensed that something was wrong and found out what it was. She thought heat would be good, but they knew nothing about hot water bottles. She must have had experience with this before. She put grandmother to bed in that little upstairs room. She went down and mixed up a hot cake with catnip tea, cooked it nice and thick, and while it was hot, she climbed up and put it on the sore breast, then covered it to keep it warm. Then she went down and made another hot cake, and by the time the first was cooled, she was up with another hot one. She repeated that until the soreness and the swelling were very much reduced, and grandmother was on the way to recovery. She brought grandmother's meals up to her, too, so that she didn't need to be embarrassed at having them all know about it. Grandmother said she surely learned to love those old black women. They were so good and helpful to her. There were two of them, Venus and Cheney. They were nurses and midwives, and they helped her many times later on with her own sicknesses and the sicknesses of her children. They were good at it, too, as their whole lives had been spent in caring for white people, and they never knew anything else. They had come out west to do that of their own free will and choice, and they finished their lives that way. After all the Reds were gone from Spanish Fork, they earned their way with the sick. Aunt Luella told me the following story, or rather she wrote it down. My father in his early life, when his little son, Lem, was a little less than two, took the boy with him on a wood hauling trip. They had dragged the wood down a hill in Spanish Fork Canyon to the wagon, ready for loading and taking home. Father had taken a sheepskin along to sit on. This he had placed over a sagebrush and set his little son on it. When he had a large log in his arms ready to load, he heard a familiar hiss, and looking around he saw a huge rattlesnake aiming a strike at the baby's face. He dropped the log, breathed the prayer to God for help and guidance, and leaped, he said, at least ten feet, grabbing the boy and throwing forcefully as far as he could. The snake leaped after the baby, but could go no further than its length. Father ran to the baby and gathered him in his arms, quieting him. He didn't know that throwing the child was the proper thing to do, but always felt it was through divine guidance that he had done so. The following is found in the records of Provo City, Utah. It was recorded when the Reds had been back there a little over a year and had one child. Schedule of Lemuel H. Red's property in which he consecrated to Lord 6th January, 1858. Lot 2 and Block 9 containing... 72 of 160 of an acre in the Spanish Fork survey of building lots, $50. Also commencing at John H. Red's northeast corner in a lot 5, block 20, thence south to the Spanish Fork Creek, thence up said creek to William Pace's line, thence north to his northwest corner, thence west to the place of beginning, containing 20 acres more or less in the Spanish Fork survey of farmlands, $200. One ox, $45. Three cows, $90. Two heifers, $15. Two sheep, $12. One swine, $10. One rifle, $25.
One house in Spanish Fork, $100. Household furniture, bed and bedding, $100. 40 bushels of wheat at $1.50 per bushel, $60. 10 bushels of corn, $12.50. 8 bushels of potatoes, $45. Garden vegetables, $15. 250 pounds of pork, $50. Total amount of Lemuel H. Red's property, $829.50. I certified the foregoing schedule of property was consecrated to the Lord by Lemuel H. Red, January 6, 1858. Lucius N. Scoville, Recorder of Utah County, Utah Territory. Apparently, the early settlers were really willing to give all. In Spanish Fork, they had started to live in the United Order, and the same as they did in many other places. Every man who entered into it consecrated or deeded all his property to the Lord, with the bishop as custodian. Then the bishop gave back to the man as much as he needed for his family. It was all done legally. If an individual had too much, he only got part of it back. If he didn't have enough and needed more, he was given more. Thus, things were evened up a bit. If you earned more than you actually needed, you gave all your surplus to the cause. Why didn't it succeed so we could practice it today? I guess most of us are like a certain Indian they tell about. The authorities were talking about the United Order in a meeting, and someone asked the Indian if he were going to join. He grunted a no, then added, We got 20 horses. And pointing to another Indian, he said, He joined. He got no horses. On July 24, 1858, word came that the United States was sending an army out to Utah to destroy the Mormons. Lemuel served as a soldier against this army, and he was one of the 2,000 who were organized as a standing army to meet the United States force and be ready for future emergency. The Cull South The Reds had been back in Spanish Fork six and a half years and lived in the United Order for a little over three years when they were called to go to southern Utah to settle. They had come to Spanish Fork when the town was just beginning, and for 11 years they had helped build it up into a fair-sized town. Now they were being asked to move out of the little home they had built and go to a brand new place, start all over again, and help build another town. There was no question about going, however. They wouldn't think of refusing a call from their prophet. The same thing still goes on. We work hard to build a ward house, and when we feel that we are through with it and can take a rest from chapel building, they cut us off into a new ward, and we have to start all over again. It's easier now, though. We don't have to move. The Reds took with them all they could haul or drive and went south. They had been over this road before, going to and coming from Las Vegas. It was not so far, though, only about 300 miles in about four weeks of travel. They knew what to take and how to arrange it. Of course, they took everything with them they had made and collected for 12 years. Probably the only things they didn't take were the empty house and the land. By that time, they had four small children, Lemuel, six, Jane, four, John, two, and William, a tiny baby. Grandmother held William on her lap the entire distance. It is as Aunt Alice said of her mother. She was twice a pioneer. Uncle Ben, as a member of the family now, went along and was a real help. So also was Luke, Grandpa's childhood bodyguard and helper. Luke attended and guarded him from North Carolina to Tennessee, had been a big help from Tennessee to Spanish Fork, and was helping again on the trek south to New Harmony. He seemed indispensable. By that time, Grandfather had two sisters. Besides his brother, Benjamin, they also received a call to go south. There, they all went and found a place to settle in New Harmony. They had all raised their families there, and they all died there except Grandfather. There were many places in the Intermountain region that were not yet settled, and President Young wanted all the territory taken up by the saints. 
he made it a practice to call people to go to every place possible for settlement. Just as soon as his scouts found a new creek or spot of ground that was all suitable, he'd call somebody to go there. By 1860, the people of Fort Harmony decided it would be best to move closer to the headwaters of Canera and Ash Creeks. The new settlements were called New Harmony and Canera, settled in 1860 and 1861. John D. Lee planned to build a nice brick home not far from the large pine tree at the foot of Pine Valley Mountain, where they could look down on his fields and the beautiful scenery. In the fall and winter of 1861 and 62, the walls of the old Fort Harmony disintegrated with the heavy rain and the inhabitants sought other places, one west and one east. And Alice says, when they decided on two places, New Harmony and Canera, the settlers here in Fort Harmony cast lots by drawing from a hat the name of the place they would be assigned to go. This proves satisfactory all around, and through the years the two small towns have mingled in a most friendly relationship. Then came the Reds, Paces, and Seves. The next spring, 1862. The Seves and Paces got on their way before the Reds and got the choice land along Ash Creek. John D. Lee's claim was at the head of the creek, and the Paces were below him. The Paces and Seves were there early enough to help them move. On January 18, 1862, John D. Lee, with the help of William and Harvey A. Pace and George W. Seve, took three wagons with eight yoke of cattle to each wagon and moved all the families from the fort to New Harmony except Caroline Lee's wife. She wanted to finish weaving some cloth she had in a loom. The walls fell in and killed two of her children, a five-year-old girl and a seven-year-old boy. These children were buried on Lee's farm in New Harmony. The road was so muddy that winter that the axles dragged on the ground, but they finally all got over to New Harmony. New Harmony, then in King County, was situated about 20 miles northwest of the Black Ridge, as the headwaters of Ash Creek. The record of New Harmony says, The new settlers were not much inclined to attend meetings. They said they had too much to do. On Sunday, the 24th of May, 1862, the Paces and Savies were requested to come to meeting and not work on the Sabbath. I guess there was plenty to do at that. It would take them about four weeks to make the trip through dry, desolate country with little or no roads, and they needed shelter and gardens put in and all such. Further, the record says, at the usual hour of meeting came Brother Sevy, Red, and families. The sequel was the administration of President Lee found place in their hearts. They repented and came to meeting and confessed and talked good. This was June 15, 1862, and it was the first mention of the Reds in New Harmony. They probably camped along the creek temporarily, but when the town was surveyed and laid out by Israel Evans, Grandfather stopped on the north of the Paces and across the street from them. This was on what became known later as the Lower Street. His home was about the middle of the block. He salvaged bricks from the old fort walls for his home chimney. The house was made of logs at first. Soon he built a bigger house of adobe, a bit more commodious than the log one had been. Maybe they used both. In that house, three more children were born, James Monroe, Carolyn Elizabeth, and Amos Thornton. Little Amos Thornton died of whooping cough when he was two years old, the first death in the family. Grandpa was away, and Grandmother herself had to wash and dress her own baby for burial without her husband's help and comfort. For some time in this home, they cooked over the fire in the fireplace, but eventually Grandmother got her first stove, a wood-burning stove with four lids and an oven, a real luxury. I guess she had never seen or cooked on a stove before. Later, Grandfather's nephew, Lemuel Alexander Pace, built a home on that same lot. It is one block south of the old home in New Harmony. Grandfather's first deed for this place is as follows. 
Land Certificate. This certifies that Lemuel Red is the lawful claimant of Lot 12, Block 3, New Harmony, survey containing five acres, St. George, Washington County. October 22, 1863. A. Ivins, County Surveyor. This was written on a little piece of paper torn out of the notebook, and it was about as big as the item above. The family lived in that home for about eight years. In 1863, the people of New Harmony were asked to furnish three teams to go east and help some foreign immigrants to come across the plains to Utah. Grandfather helped fit out these teams. 